Paul and his companions travel throughout the region of Perigia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him. Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. 
and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. Welcome to Acts, the story of the early church that took up the cause that Christ had begun through his earthly ministry, having received the Holy Spirit. They carried the gospel from Jerusalem to the world. In our story today, we see the gospel going to Europe for the first time. The gospel had gone from Jerusalem into North Africa and up into Asia. And through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, they were sent, these missionaries, Paul and Silas, were sent by the Lord from Asia, or part of Asia called Turkey, into Europe, part of the world known as Macedonia. It is uh, interesting to note that Istanbul, Turkey, is in two continents. You cross the strait of water there, and you're in Europe, but on the main body of Turkey, you're in Asia. So our text today is in uh, chapter 16, verse 6. They had left Antioch to visit churches that Paul and Barnabas had established, and they actually had left Jerusalem having received letters of encouragement for Gentile believers in relationship to the religion of Judaism, what they asked that believers would do. And from there, they went up to Antioch sharing these good news with Gentile believers all along the way. And then from Antioch, they are sent to visit churches that Paul and Barnabas had established earlier. Barnabas and Paul parted ways. Barnabas took a team of people to the island of Cyprus where he was from, and we're not sure what happened from there. We do know in this passage, Luke joins the team because the language kind of changes and begins to use the pronoun we. Up till this point in the story, he's just been reporting uh, in the third person, and now he switches to the second person. We went here, we went there. And you'll see the pronoun we throughout the book of Acts here and there after today's passage. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, Phrygia is a western Turkey where Colossae is and Laodicea is, and Galatia is where he wrote a letter to them. Uh, Colossae, I guess, could be a letter to the Phrygians. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Well, don't people in Asia need to hear the gospel? Yes, they had done considerable effort and established churches, and the cause of the continuing the ministry of Christ would continue in Asia, having established multiple beachheads for the advancement of the kingdom of God in that area. But Paul was called into frontier missions to go where no man had gone before. Verse 7, after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia, that is in Europe, stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us, to preach the gospel to them. So Luke is now part of the team in verse 10. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace. Now that's an island between Turkey and Macedonia. Here's another map where if you had a magnifying glass and it was clear, you could see the island there. So from 
Samothrace, they came to Neapolis on the coast of Macedonia and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. So they went to an important city where the Lord led them to share the gospel. And they did what they normally do in Paul's ministry. They, knowing the gospels to the Jew first, they would look for the Jews and go to them, go to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Well, when there's no synagogue, the Jews would meet outdoors near a body of water so that they could do their ritual cleansing. The women could be immersed once a month. Um, they could practice the religion of Judaism because water was very important to them. And so they go to a riverside. So here it is. They stayed in the city for some days in verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. So this was a place to meet, customary place for Jews to meet on the Sabbath day. It is ironic, though, that it's more than a Sabbath day's journey to reach this from Philippi. So they had to bend their man-made rules to be able to practice the Sabbath. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us, verse 14. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. This was a Gentile woman who respected the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and she would meet with them, just like happens in synagogue life. Interested Gentiles would join them and begin to learn about the fear of the Lord. She was from Thyatira, which is in Asia, a community that produced a purple dye uh, that was made from shellfish, actually mollusks in that part of the world generate this fluid that becomes purple dye as they uh, do whatever they do with it. And there was a demand for this dye in Philippi being a Roman colony or a Roman center. Roman officials would like to wear purple because that's a color of royalty. And so she had quite a prosperous business going on, an import business from her homeland. And so she opened her heart and heard the gospel from Paul. And verse 15, and when she and her household were baptized, see, water baptism is very important. When you become a believer, there's this desire to obey the Lord. She begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now, she had a large house, okay? This wasn't an inappropriate thing. Uh, the woman in the film portraying Lydia was Jennifer O'Neill, who recognized her. If Jennifer O'Neill's invited me to stay at her house, I'm not going unless it's a big house and I got other folks with me. Right? A little humor there. Anyway. Now it happened as we went to prayer. I guess they were going back to the river to pray on another Sabbath. That a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. So these demons would inspire her to say things that would persuade people that it was worthy of money. Um, I don't encourage you to go to fortune tellers. In fact, in the law of Moses, it was forbidden um, to do that kind of thing. Uh, demons lie anyway. So why would you want to listen to them, carry on conversations with them? There's only one, one conversation with the demon uh, in the ministry of Jesus. And that's He asked what his name was. That was it. He didn't ask, how'd you get here, you know, and... 
How often do you do this and all this stuff we see some deliverance ministries get into? Why would you want to listen to them? Because they lie and they sow discord. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now, from our vantage point, this is a true statement. They were the servants of the Most High God. But from the standpoint of the listeners, people that she has uh, duped with her fortune-telling, people that have helped make her masters rich, to them, when you say Most High God, you're talking about Zeus. You're talking about Jupiter. You're talking about the highest of the pagan deities. This was not good. And even if what she was saying was true, it's still not good because a demon is drawing attention to itself and getting credit for declaring something that's true in order to set people up so that they'll listen to them some more. Who knows the best lie are the ones that have truth mixed in with them. And this she did for many days. Every time they passed by her, they put up with this gal crying out. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, not to the girl, but to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. So if it was from three to four, he came out sometime between, it was less than an hour for this thing to be gone. And it was significant. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Now, we've been given authority over the enemy. Who knows that? Um, the story, this story kind of reminds me of something. Uh, there was an elder at Shady Grove Church years ago named Jim Busby who had a son who loved the Lord. This kid would worship. I think he was 10 or 11 years old. He was just an impressive kid, loved the God. And one day, some neighbor bullies tried to steal his bicycle. And he rebuked the devil. And they said, are you calling us the devil? He says, no. The spirit that is leading you to steal my bicycle, I'm talking to him, and I command him to stop. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Guess what happened? Them boys left him alone. In these days of mass shootings, I really think demons are involved because the shooters kill themselves. What happens when a demon is done with you, he will turn you on yourself and you become suicidal. I often think there's de demonic activity involved in suicide because it is not natural for us to lose the desire to live. We all want to live, don't we? And to just want to end your life, it's got to be an open channeling from the dark side uh, trying to have its way with you and I. So if a gunman comes in this place, uh, we will be seeking counsel concerning that reality. It probably is a good idea not to uh, distract our security guard. He's great. I'm glad we love him and all that, but he's here to do a job. And so uh, try not to get into long conversations with him because he's here to do a job. We do have four exits get out and uh but somebody would need to stand up and rebuke him in the name of jesus and speak to that spirit driving the man to do this don't you think okay i'll do it i'll do it i'll distract him you know if i die it's okay i don't want to die in a nursing home anyway 
right? You guys get out. All right. So they were upset. They're not going to make any money off this poor girl anymore. Paul had done a good thing. Who knows it's a good thing? Who knows the torment this girl went through at night? These demons were having their way with her. Verse 20, they brought them to the magistrates, that is the Roman authorities, and, and said, these men being Jews, so they're pulling the race card, these Jewish guys exceedingly trouble our cities. These Jews are troublemakers. And they teach customs that are not lawful for us. Now they start lying. Being Romans, to receive or observe. They're against our culture. Then the multitude rose up against them, and the magistrates tore off. When you tear off someone's clothes, you destroy them, right? Tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they were done beating them, they threw, threw them into jail, and I'm getting ahead of myself. You have to come back next Sunday. Have you ever felt like this? No good deed goes unpunished. Be honest. You ever felt like that? Now, you know that's an exaggeration, don't you? There's plenty of good deeds that um, are rewarded, but sometimes when you do good, you suffer for it. That's the reason for Samaritan laws, to protect do-gooders from getting punished. Veterans Day is an opportunity. The reason veterans have a day to express honor and gratitude is often they are not honored. When our soldiers came back from Nam, man, it was tremendous dishonor to these guys that put their lives on the line for the sake of our government. All I know is sometimes it seems like no good deed goes unpunished. So today's subject is when it seems like, and here's the mantra, no good deed goes unpunished. was coined by a dramatist, an American woman born in 1903, named Claire Booth Luce. She is the one credited. Some people, uh, by mistake, say uh, um, Oscar Wilde said it. In fact, there's some memes out there crediting Oscar Wilde with it, but a woman said it. No good deed goes unpunished. And often this is said to express the feeling that beneficial actions often go unappreciated or are met with hostility. These two teenage girls, at the time the picture was taken, Taylor Ostergaard and Lindsay Zalitti, wanted to bless their neighbors. So one night, instead of going to a school dance, they got together and baked lots of plates of cookies with paper hearts on top of them and began to deliver them afterwards. Because it was late in the evening, they only left the fresh-baked goods at houses with lights on. They would leave the cookies, knock on the door, and then leave. 
By 10.30, they pounded on the door of one home. They were still out doing their good deeds. The lights were on inside. The 49-year-old woman inside didn't answer the door, but she experienced an anxiety attack, which resulted in her the next day deciding to go to the emergency room. After a trip there, she decided to sue the girls for what it cost her. The judge awarded the plaintiff $900 to cover the expenses of her emergency visit. The woman said, it, said she wanted the girls to learn a lesson because they should not have been out late at night running from door to door. Something bad could have happened to them, she said. After the story was published in the newspaper, hundreds of readers were outraged that the girls were sued for dropping off a plate of cookies and a paper heart for their neighbors. Thousands of dollars poured in to help the girls pay their fine. Their story was reported on national news programs, and they were guests on the Saturday edition of Good Morning America. As a result of the publicity, they established a fund that was set up for their college expenses. So the good deed got punished, but then something good came out of it, right? When it seems like no good deed goes unpunished, what should we do? When you're hit with that emotion, when you're hit with that feeling, when you're tempted to say, I'm never going to do anything good for anybody again, you know that's an extreme response, but it's a real emotion. What do you do? Well, there's a half a dozen things here. Oh, no, another recipe? No, you do one of them. It'll change your life. Remember, they're all things to remember. Remember our commission. It's not about us always getting blessed for our good deeds. It's about continuing the ministry of Jesus. That's what we're all about here in the book of Acts. Jesus said that all authority had been given to him in heaven and on earth. Therefore, because I have all authority, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I commanded you. Now, if we're to teach people to obey the commands of Christ, surely we are to obey them, right? And what did he say? Do good to those who will spitefully use you. Do good to those who will punish you for it. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we are not alone. We are identifying with the sufferings of Christ when we suffer for doing good. Remember our assignments, which is another way of saying the same thing. In Mark 16, Jesus said, go throughout the whole world. Somebody said everywhere. And preach the gospel to all mankind. Somebody else say everybody. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Believers will be given the power to perform miracles. These signs shall follow those that believe. And here's the miracles. They will drive out demons in my name. We see that in our day and we see that in the text. They will speak in strange tongues or new languages. Anybody spoken in tongues in the house? If they pick up snakes or drink any poison, they will not be harmed. They will place their hands on sick people and these will get well. Now in the middle of that assignment is this strange statement. If they pick up snakes or drink any poison. Why is that in there? Is he telling us to become snake handlers? There are churches that do that. 
And they play games with, with strychnine, but they don't mess with that cyanide. <laughs> they play games with rattlers, but they don't mess with those African vipers. I believe these are people trying to sabotage our furthering of the commission. People punishing us for good, trying to poison us. This has happened. And people have survived attempts on their life. So, in doing good deeds and getting punished for it, we've got to remember we have an assignment and there's often resistance we make. Often, we also, we should remember our reality. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace, Jesus said in John 16. In the world you will have. Somebody said will have. Tribulation. Can we all say trouble? But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. The one who is with us always has already overcome the world. So we are with the world overcomer. No matter what we face, it's going to be reality. Now, if you have a book of God's promises... It's not a complete book if this promise isn't in there. In the world, you'll have tribulation. You don't have to claim it, don't have to name it, don't have to blab it, don't have to grab it, don't have to kill it, don't have to chill it, don't have to stick it up on the wall and say, give it to me, Jesus. It will happen in your life. Remember that so that when it happens, you don't go into shock. I can't believe God let this happen to me. When it seems like no good deed goes unpunished, we should remember our empowerment. There's more to us than meets the eye. Jesus said, you should receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you should be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth, Europe and America and Mexico and Canada, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We remember we have the Holy Spirit now. Maybe you received the Holy Spirit when you were a child years ago. Why are you tempted to feel like no good deed goes unpunished? Well, the rest of that power is, that promise of power is that that power is accessible more than one time in our life. Paul in Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Drunkenness never produces righteousness. You know, you're subtracting your IQ points. No good decisions are made while we're drunk. And I would think that would apply to any intoxicant, whether it's an upper or a downer. It's just it's going to lead to wastefulness in our life. But be filled with the Spirit. And this word filled refers to more than a one-time event. People get drunk more than once, don't they? Anybody ever been drunk in your life? Anybody ever been drunk more than once? All right. Anybody ever been filled with the Spirit? Anybody ever been filled with the Spirit more than once? So when we're tempted to feel like no good deed goes unpunished, get filled with the Holy Spirit. When I get hit with that emotion, I find a place to pray and repent of anything in my heart I've got towards those that have treated me ill or not recognized me or whatever. And I seek the Lord with all my heart, and courage, encouragement begins to come. The Holy Spirit begins to fill me. It's good. It's something that is our inheritance, access that power. When it seems like no good deed goes unpunished, what do we do? Remember that our work 
pays off. We do reap what we sow in the long run. Once there was a farmer who sowed his field with hay, but then he got discouraged and planted wheat the next day. Soon he grew impatient and plowed the field again, this time planting pumpkins instead of that slow-growing grain. A few days later, he left his farm for good, driving his truck and shaking his head, driving on for hours, whining these words, I planted pumpkins and got yellow flowers. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked, Galatians 6. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. Why? Because it can get tiresome. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Somebody said everybody. Especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Can we all say us? So whether you feel like you're getting it back, sow your seed anyway. Cast your bread on the waters. And it will come back to you in due time. Now, if you've ever wondered about that verse, I always kind of wondered about it as a kid. You know, bread comes back soggy. And then one day some Africans took me fishing with French bread. And we caught catfish with bread. I can't believe he used an unclean fish to do an illustration. I'm a Gentile. Hello. Who knows catfish is good? When it seems like no good deed goes unpunished, what should we do? Now, this balances everything. Remember, our time is valuable. Someone burns you. You don't have to let them burn you over and over and over again. Paul balances things to, in his letter to the church in Thessalonica. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. If somebody's being lazy, somebody's being a mooch, you don't have to let them take advantage of you. For we hear that there are some who walk among you, yep, in the church, in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. They're full of mischief. They're spreading bad news. They're being gossips. They need to get a job. Now, those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness, get a job and be quiet, and eat their own bread. Stop being a mooch. If you're able to work, get a job. Our time is valuable. And someone that eats up your resources is actually being unjust because those resources could be used to help somebody else that really is in need. He continues, verse 13, But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet do, yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. 
In other words, do not hang out with lazy folks. Do not hang out with people that would take advantage of you and people that will abuse you. Do not hang out with people that are busybodies. Just don't hang out with them. But if you see them, don't shun them. You know, don't pick on them. Don't become a gossip yourself and talking about, hey, do you hear about so-and-so? No, just love them and bring a loving word of correction. Hey, brother, you, you burn me, and uh, I don't appreciate it. You know, we, we paid you kids' way to go to camp, and you went to Vegas because you couldn't afford to send your kids to camp. That's happened to us. Admonish him as a brother. This is the greatest point. When it seems like no good deed goes unpunished, what should we do? Remember this, it's not about us. Remember, our God is the great I am. He's not the God who used to be or the God who's going to be. He's he who was and is and is to come. He told Abraham in Genesis 15:1, I am your shield and exceeding great reward. In Genesis 26, he said, I am with you. In Genesis 31, he said, I am the God of Bethel, or I am the God of the house of God. In 35:11, I am God Almighty. In Exodus 6, 7, he said, I am the Lord your God. And he said this. Dozens of times in the Old Testament. I am a jealous God in Exodus 20, verse 5. 31, 13, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. In Leviticus eleven forty four. I am holy. Numbers 18, 20, I am your portion and I am your inheritance. Psalm 35, 3, I am your salvation. Isaiah 41, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right arm. I am the Lord who makes all things, Isaiah 44 says. Chapter 49, he says, I am your Savior. Chapter 60, I am your Redeemer. Malachi 1 I am a great king. And in some places in the Old Testament, he said, I am against you. Sometimes our enemy isn't the enemy. Sometimes it's God because we've got some things to get right in our life. In Revelation, he said, I am the first and the last. I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning and the end. The writer of Hebrews, he's, through him he says, that he is the author and the finisher of our faith. As the praise team comes forward, I want to read the words of this prayer and actually pray it. To the great I am, Lord, I, I want to be close, close to your side. So heaven is real and death is a lie. I want to hear voices of angels above singing to one, hallelujah, holy, holy, God Almighty, the great I am, who is worthy, there is none beside thee. 